Support for this episode comes from SAS. SAS is going all in on AI to help the world get more done with data. See for yourself in Las Vegas, April 16th to 19th at SAS Innovate, the data and AI experience for everyone and every role from top executives to data scientists, engineers, analysts, and more. I'll be there leading a panel discussion about the importance of responsible AI. It's just one of the many sessions that will highlight the massive potential of AI. Visit innovate.sas.com and use the code CARA to save $100 on registration. I'll see you there. Support for Pivot comes from Klaviyo. There are plenty of AI tools out there to help your marketing strategy, but you'd be hard-pressed to find one built like Klaviyo. Klaviyo AI guides you with predictive insights so you can more accurately see what your customers want and when they want it. It uses both real-time and historical data and can make it all make sense for you. That way you can say goodbye to tedious tasks and work smarter. You can join brands including Everyman Jack, who've optimized their marketing strategy and driven more revenue with Klaviyo AI. Klaviyo powers smarter digital relationships. Visit klaviyo.com slash vox to learn more. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash vox. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm Scott Galloway. What's up? We have lots to talk about. A lot happened over the weekend. I mean, first of all, let's clear up. Um, Last Thursday, Mark Zuckerberg, Jack Dorsey, and Sundar Pichai all appeared virtually before the House Energy, Commerce, and Subcommittee to talk about misinformation. Um, The lawmakers seem pissed off, but I feel like they, again... A big, a whole lot of nothing. Um, uh, Pennsylvania Democrat Mike Doyle opened asking if they bore responsibility. Of course, they didn't answer. Republicans' new talking points are about protecting children. Big tech is essentially giving our kids a lit cigarette and hoping they stay addicted for life, said Bill Johnson from Ohio. Uh, uh, Now, the Pew study, though, is showing that three quarters, uh, two thirds of Americans think social media have a negative effect on the country. Uh, CEOs were uh, evasive, saying Zuckerberg saying it was America's problem, not a Facebook problem. Lawmakers increasingly getting nervous, but uh, but uh, what was interesting uh, was it was that the that that the tone was not positive, and yet nothing is going to happen. What do you think? Well, they call them lawmakers and not righteous yeah. speech makers for yes. a reason. It's yeah. at some point these they elected, gotta do something. Yeah, at some point these elected representatives need to command the space they occupy and stop. It's almost, uh, you know, in um, now in criminal trials, uh, the victims have an opportunity to put the the criminal or the I guess it's the convicted person on stand and just basically yeah. You know, elocute. Yeah, elocute. Well, that's a great word. Um, that's the word. And I'd, I, that might be. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but that uh, uh, this feels like that. It's like okay, mm-hmm. enough already. Do your fucking job and make some laws. Yeah, enough with the elocution. Yeah, it's we get it. They're wrong. You're right. You've posed for the cameras. Now, now do your job. You're mm-hmm. called lawmakers. So make some laws. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think we've just had enough. We're we're past the investigation, hearing, righteous speech stage, we should be moving into the lawmaking phase of this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Which is more difficult. Well, it's interesting. I interviewed Amy Klobuchar today for 
Sway, as you know, uh, but mm-hmm. you may not have listened to it, but she was talking about that. She's a much more, you know, sort of let's get these bills done. She did talk about the difficulties of passing them in these in the environments, how hard it is to get any legislation through. And a lot of it had been bottled up by Mitch McConnell in the Senate. You know, a lot of some, she, she is, that woman writes bills like she, you know, she she writes more bills than anybody and is very aggressive lawmaker and that's even difficult so i think what's what will be interesting to hear because there's another hearing coming up and there's another hearing um, but it does feel as if enough is enough let's just make some laws let's just get down to it uh, yeah. essentially let's get um, on with it i i really i i keep you know i i don't i think i i'm even getting bored of it and you know how much i like to see them under stress and things like that. Um, so we'll see what happens. There's some things definitely moving through, and there's some of these bills are attached uh, uh, to like HR one. There's some. There's some attached. They're, they're attached all over the place. But what they do have to do is get you know get the funding to the FDC uh, and the Justice Department more funding. Get some of these privacy bills going, and then and then move on to um, you know where the liability is, um, or else they're just going to be doing everything by executive order, which is not what they're there for. Agreed. We'll see. So one of the other stories that I thought was quite uh, depressing was um, Wall Street Journal did a deep dive on the death of Tony Shea. Um, The problem Hmm. was his entourage, his core team, friends, employees, musicians. He bankrolled them. They moved to Park City and became enablers. Uh, He and they were high on nitrous oxide. Some of the pictures were disturbing. Mm -hmm. Psychedelic mushrooms. Uh, Nothing wrong with, you know, a lot of things. But in this case, they seem to have really enabled him to the point of death, essentially. Um, you know, they had he had stuff all over his house. There was a lot of details about post-its and how he'd become increasingly isolated by people he paid. Um, and one of the things that was interesting is he insisted he was fine and considered it a betrayal to anyone to help him, including, uh, you know, many, many people. Jewel came in and mm-hmm. others. And it was just a really, um, it, it's stuff I'm not, I said it was tragic and I wasn't surprised by even a bit of it. Because even in earlier days, he had liked to have a group of entourage around him. I, he was always with an entourage when I saw him, um, whether it was in Las Vegas or he came to to code or stuff like that and or in his bus or whatever and uh, but it took on this sort of malevolent feeling um, and that story kind of underscored it yeah but look I I don't think Tony Shea is dead because of a group of people who are enablers I think Tony Shea fair. is dead because of Tony Shea and yes, that's fair and the reality is there maybe they were enablers but he was in charge because mm-hmm. he has money uh, he was able to surround himself with people who would do w- what he asked. And so I remember watching, it just brought up, I remember like 20, 30 years ago, watching a Behind the Music on Glenn Campbell. <laughs> remember Glenn oh, Campbell? yes. I love, are you kidding? Hello. Yeah. And he he had a cocaine habit and they asked him about his cocaine habit and he said that he had uh, been surrounded by uh, uh, bad actors who convinced him to do cocaine. It's like, boss, no one held a gun to your head and told you to do cocaine. And- uh, I think Tony Shea is a very likable guy. And again, I think we afford innovators a certain level of idolatry and excuses. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's responsible for his own addiction. It's tragic. Certainly. And, you know, we want to find other actors and turn the innovator into the victim. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that's fair. It's a tragic story. He did this, quite frankly, he did this to himself. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. I like your tough love there, Scott. I do. Um, you know, one of the things, though, that I think does happen is that is that when you look, someone told me, when you look around and everyone is uh, on your payroll, you've got a problem. Like when you look around and everyone 
around you. And it is certainly your fault. There is some level of who would do this. That that was the part I couldn't get. There's like these people who would just let this happen over and over and again. Like well, I, other I'm friends drug with people. Yes, exactly. No, I know that. But I, like if you're a friend, I mean, I have been very yeah. tough on friends who have been in tough situations. Um, and that's what's the saddest part of this is that there was no ability to intervene on his family's behalf, on his friend's behalf. Um, and, and therefore these people, you know, it's a story over and over again. And the, this, I think the thing that you put your finger on is this idolatry of the innovator is absolutely true. This idea that it was, when, when I think about it, you know, everybody, I didn't like his whole, you know, his whole smile bus or whatever happiness bus. And I, you know, I would say you were just silly. This is ridiculous silliness. And one of the things was, was everyone was, I remember like, oh, it's fine that he does this. And I was like, it's, juvenile it's weird it's yeah. and it was it just was it's just it was sad because he was a lovely man of all things he was quite a lovely man so i just thought it's a worth reading yeah but it's it, it takes a certain level uh, and i you know let's go back to this notion i, I really enjoy coaching young people and mm-hmm. especially young men and what i found it, it's really important to keep people around you who you don't disagree. buy your rap and, yeah. and that is occasionally say, no, Scott, you're being a narcissist or Scott, you're kind of falling in love with your own press. Mm-hmm. Or I have a, actually a group of, 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 of older men in my life that like call me out of the blue and say, that was a shitty take. You're wrong. Mm-hmm. And it upsets me and I don't like them for about 24 hours. And then I realize how important they are to have in my life. Yeah. yeah. And it, you always want to maintain a group of people around you who will tell you that you're all wet. Uh, because it's very easy to start screening those people out of your life, especially when you have hundreds of millions of dollars and just can surround yourself with a full-time mm-hmm. party of people who, like you said, I don't want to call them they're your enablers, but you have consciously decided to have no no guardrails uh, yep. around you. And So you're, you're essentially trying to tell me you love me, right? Is that what's happening <laughs> here? Because I do that. Is that what's happening? You do, yeah. I complete you? Yeah. Is that what's going on? hundred percent. Your friends, your friends would tell you this. It all, comes, it all comes back to the cat. <laughs> you just like crumble like a, like a, like a cake in the rain as uh, someone left the House cake of in cards. the rain. When, the- when I like send you a text that is even slightly angry, you get, you get. I get very upset. You get very no. upset. I no. sometimes am like, should I do this? And I go, send. Like, no, it's really. You're my Jenga, but I keep pulling out the box. <laughs> I cry when it crashes, and then I'm like, and then another 24 hours, I'm like, let's play some more Jenga. I don't like, I won't play Jenga. I won't play it. I don't like games like that. Anyways, Tony Shea and and Enablers, look, you, uh, you know, when you have this kind of money, you choose to enable yourself. All right. Moving on to the big story, which is about that, uh, the fight to unionize an Alabama Mm -hmm. Amazon warehouse. All last week, Twitter, Amazon execs went after uh, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren in quite ridiculous terms, I thought, because they both support workers, the Amazon warehouse, who are trying to unionize. Um, So they had a Twitter war. Um, uh, It it, it was amazing. Dave Clark, who's a big executive uh, at uh, at Amazon, uh, says, I often say we are the Bernie Sanders of employers, but that's not quite right because we actually deliver a progressive workplace. Um, and then when House Representative Mark, I think it's Pocan, called BS on said that workplace was so demanding that workers had to pee in bottles, uh, Amazon News account 
uh, you really don't believe that peeing in bottles is, is, a, is a thing, do you? If it were true, nobody would work for us, of course. Then there was a story that actually people do pee in bottles um, and, and actually defecate in bags, which is even mm-hmm. more repulsive. And then Senator Warren jumped in about tax loopholes and the company's snotty tweets. And then Amazon News, again, whoever this is, and I, who is the Dan Scavino of, of, of this, uh, this is extraordinary and revealing. One of the most powerful politicians in the United States said she's going to break up an American company so that they can't criticize her anymore. Uh, and then it turns out, as Jason uh, Del Rey from Recode and others have reported, uh, that this was from the top. This was Bezos going for it. Uh, what did you think of this? I kept thinking of you all weekend. I think this is really interesting and, and on a number of levels. The first is, okay. and you went on a uh, Twitter yes. storm that I thought cut to the quick of the issue. And yeah. that is, the first thing I thought was, this is Bezos. Mm-hmm. Nobody goes after a senator without yep. it clearing it through Jeff. Yeah. And first off, some immediate questions pop up that are uncomfortable for Amazon. And communications and public relations is all about communication is is with the listener. Mm-hmm. And they really like. I'm what's I'm trying to think of an academic term here. They they, they fucked up. Yeah. And that is quite frankly, they're right. Uh, uh, senators Sanders and Warren are the butcher who shows up and complains about how bad the meat is. Like, well, you're the butcher. Right. But here's the thing. They absolutely snatched defeat from the jaws of victory here. Yeah, agreed. Because That's what I said. I don't like when she does this, but who cares? They're a big company, but go ahead. Go ahead. But there's some real rookie moves, and it's amazing that this is a company that's typically very disciplined, and this was mm-hmm. a rare lack of discipline. And it comes and it kept from, going. It comes from individuals, and this, again, goes back to the notion of enablement, when you're the wealthiest, smartest businessman in the world, you surround yourself with people who tend to not check you. And he gets angry. Somebody, there wasn't anybody there to say, you know what? When we tweet back at an individual as a corporation, mm-hmm. it was the, it's some of those tweets, the tweets against or um, in response to Center Centers were from Amazon News. News, yeah. First off, this is the biggest rookie move in communications. When you communicate from a corporation to an individual, the corporation has lost before the dialogue starts. Yep, agree. Because Amazon is a big trillion-dollar corporation, mm-hmm. and when they start getting into it with an individual, no one's going to side with the faceless corporation. No, no, exactly. And two, they could have they could have torn them both apart. They could have the response should have been uh, Senator Warren as the largest consumer company or the fastest-growing consumer company in history. We have a vested interest in the success of a society's ballast, which is the middle class. As a, as a function of that, yeah. we have raised minimum wage to more than double what it is in that state. Two, we have hired more people than any corporation in history within 12 months. In the Q4 of 2019, we affected what is what is effectively the biggest pay raise in the history of mankind when we took all of our employees. They could have just gone yeah. data point, they data point, argument. data point. Why didn't they? What What was the audience for these tweets? That's what I said this this morning on CNBC. I'm like, just make the case for yourself to, and in a, in, a, in a polite way. I'll tell you what the audience was. The audience what? was a 57-year-old man who's on testosterone yeah. who hadn't mm-hmm. had lunch yeah. and got angry. Yeah. And there was no one around him to go, you know, boss, this is a bad idea. Yeah. We but need there to was. rethink they, this. People inside said they'd push back, but there was no pushing back. Well, they that. weaponized Dave Clark. He looks like a jerk yeah. now. Yeah. Because the, the reality is they're right. Mm. They, it's very they have Trumpy. Some, I thought it was very Trumpy. Well, but that's that's another great point is in contrast. Very let me get Trumpy. this. 
Trump Trump is 10 yeah. times the asshole 10 times. of Warren or Sanders, and yet you Ten never times. went after him personally? Never. Not once. And you know what the next shoe to fall is? She gets under their skin. She does. People are going to start going, you know what? Is this a little scary that we have an individual, Jeff Bezos, who's prone to this anti-union mm-hmm. or these missives? And by the way, what's he in charge of? The Washington Post. Yeah. People are going to start making that connection. Yeah. What's the scary part, Scott? The next shoe to drop will be people will start going, is this the individual who's anti-union, um, who's who's um, uh, also happens to be in charge of what is probably one of the most powerful media companies in the world? Yeah. And they'll start connecting like, okay, does he get angry? He weaponized David Clark. He said, David, go get him. Is that what he potentially does with his editors at Washington Post? Yeah. I guess I won't be the editor of the Washington Post. <laughs> What do you, you know, I have gotten calls from two media reporters saying you're on the list. And I was like, you've got to fucking be kidding. Let me see if I can take care of it this weekend with these tweets, um, it, which is funny. Yeah, but uh, OK, so I'm going to go on a limb here. A, I think you'd be wonderful. B, I think you're qualified. <laughs> I think they put you on the list so they can say a lesbian journalist is on the list. And it makes them feel like they're somewhat wokey. Yeah, well, he wouldn't be able to push me around, I'll tell you I think you it's that. a head fake. Oh, I agree. I'm kidding. I'm totally unqualified. I'd drive that newspaper right into a wall. No, actually, I do think you are qualified, but... Uh, I don't know. I did start off there in the mailroom. Nonetheless, I think these are... Let's go to the implications for unionizing. The union fight was started by yeah. Daryl Richardson, a 51-year-old black entry-level picker yeah. in the Bessemer Warehouse, who could be better, an irresistible David Berthold Goliath showdown. Fight is not over money. They make fifteen thirty an hour, high for the area. It's about control of the workers' time and efficiency demands, like trips to the rest restroom. Um, and uh, Alabama, just, you know, another 20th set of other seats, the right to work law. Um, does this, what, what do you, what's going to happen? The voting is happening right now. Six, this is a big deal because it's not a small group of people like at Google or other Amazon things. This is 6,000 people. It could have implications, uh, wider implications or set off a chain reaction uh, across Amazon warehouses. This is just, this is probably the biggest moment for unions in mm-hmm. the last decade because it's right. so high profile. Mm-hmm. And Amazon is the largest employer uh, or the the fastest growing employer in the world right now. But at the same time, there's real issues. And there's also huge issues around the middle class. And if you look at minimum wage and union Mm -hmm. membership, those are the two strongest signals in terms of the decimation of the middle class. The fact that we have an increased minimum wage and the fact that union membership has literally been cut in half. Mm -hmm. So union membership has been cut in half in the last 30 years. I think if this, I think if the union loses here, Mm-hmm. This is probably the last nail in the coffin because the reality is unions have done a shitty job. Mm-hmm. Uh, they Their image is bad. Even coming out of the pandemic, I think unions are a big loser because I think the teachers unions across America came across fairly or unfairly as putting the compensation of teachers ahead of kids' well-being. I think that's the impression that parents had is that yeah. teachers unions were using the pandemic as an excuse to uh, uh, get additional compensation, which quite frankly, they might, uh, they need to catch up. Teachers are underpaid. Uh, even that's a general statement because there's so many different school districts. Mm-hmm. I just think unions as, as a, as a brand have done a terrible so they job. they have to win here? It's, they just get weaker. They're, I wonder if there's another construct for better representing the middle class and union. I wonder if yeah. how, I wonder if unions time has just come and gone, quite frankly. Well, it's I'm a member of a union. Because, I don't because if 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 unions lose here, it'll look like Jeff being an asshole is uh, is worked. But it didn't. It didn't work, Jeff. You're an asshole. 
You well, just I don't. But them. okay. But here's the thing: in Bessemer, if a mm -hmm. if 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 two people, if a husband and a wife, or a husband and a husband, or a wife and a wife work mm -hmm. at that plant, mm -hmm. thirty bucks an hour in Bessemer. I mean, uh, or sixty thousand dollars in household mm -hmm. income in Bessemer. That's a solid middle class life in Bessemer, mm -hmm. and they have access to health insurance. So. I mean, what's really scary is what if the union wins and Amazon says, we're leaving Bessemer? Yeah, that's we're right. Out. They might do that. They we're would do out. that. I mean, they play hardball. They what, was, what was interesting is a lot of the reaction was how many people were defending Bezos in the group. They wanted to focus on Warren and everything else. And it was fascinating how many people, very much like Elon, not quite the same level, were like, hey, he's the best. And so... Whatever he says goes. It was really interesting, like angry, mostly men, I have to say. Like they sort of had this aspirational quality to I'd like to kick some ass like that Bezos guy does. So it was interesting. It was an interesting rant. Like yeah, but he what still I, was an asshole. Like, okay. What I don't get what I don't care with what I don't care with Bezos though is why they don't pull a Chesky. Chesky took a big amount of stock. Mm -hmm. I mean, Bezos is not afraid to reinvest. In his company, and he yeah. and the fifteen dollars an hour was a bold move. They could have put out a tweet saying, "Senator Warren, we look forward to yeah. working with you as we worked with Senator Sanders around yeah. minimum wage issues." Yeah. I mean, they absolutely could have yeah. kneecapped her, yeah, and with data and a and she a gets to them in a forceful yet dignified she manner. Gets to them. Instead, she like Same with Zuckerberg. Yeah, tweet him. But yeah. the thing about what I don't understand about Bezos is a guy's worth one hundred sixty billion dollars. Why wouldn't you go to his shareholders and say? and has a trillion dollar company, you're all gonna incur a 5% dilution and I'm gonna set up a $50 fund. billion dollar fund for workers yeah. around healthcare, around working moms. And it's just like, that. I just don't he get it. He doesn't want to. What? <laughs> you know, if Mackenzie Bezos are running it, that's what would happen here. Mackenzie Scott was running it. That's what would happen. Yeah, it, 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 but just doesn't you, want to. Same thing with Elon, go back to work. I don't care if you get COVID. Like, you know what I mean? Like this is, you know, and then the statistics bear it out at that factory. Uh, you know, they don't care. I don't know what else to say. They just don't mind being assholes. And they think it's, a, and if he wins here, he's going to be insufferable in that they think this worked. I was behind him on the sexting. I'm like, go for it, Jeff. But in this one, ugh, you're just an You were pro-sexting? I, pro I was like, no, I was pro-sexting and pro him pushing back in that really loud and obnoxious way. I loved it. I yeah. thought it was great. It was great. Yeah, I, I was agree. great. Uh, but in this case, Jeff, you're an asshole. Someone should tell you. This is a, this is an asshole move. Even if you win, you're an yeah, asshole. But I think so. this says more about unions than it says yeah. about Bezos. Yeah, we'll see. All right. We're going to go on a quick break, and we'll be back to talk about our favorite assholes at WeWork. Support for Pivot comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software, including Jira, Confluence, and Trello, help power the collaboration for teams to accomplish what would otherwise be impossible alone. Because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200, or 2 million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian Software is built to help keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR, and legal, can stay connected and moving together as one towards shared, company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. 
Support for Pivot comes from Klaviyo. When you're marketing your business, there's a ton of data to keep track of, and you need the right tool to help you make sense of it all. For that, you might want Klaviyo in your arsenal. Klaviyo helps brands get smarter with their marketing. Their AI is built differently than anyone else. It combines a ton of real-time and historical customer data points for you in full detail and makes sense of it all for you. It guides you with predictive analytics, so when you use Klaviyo AI, you get smarter insights without all the heavy lifting. You can more accurately see what your customers want and when they want it. You can work smarter and be more confident in your decision-making. You can join brands who've optimized their marketing strategy with Klaviyo AI, including, for example, men's personal care brand Everyman Jack. They've used Klaviyo's AI-powered predictive analytics to generate personalized predictions about each of their subscribers. That, in turn, helped them deliver top-notch customer experiences and drive more revenue. Klaviyo powers smarter digital relationships. Visit klaviyo.com slash vox to learn more. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash vox. Okay, we're back with our second big story. We were announced last week. They're merging with a SPAC, BOX acquisition. Okay. All right. WeWork. Tell me, Scott, what do you think? We're more bullish on WeWork now, aren't we? Are we correct? Well, here's the thing. Anytime you do an analysis of a company through the lens of shareholder value, it has mm-hmm. to be set against the context of the valuation. And as you know, you know, my kind of, I don't know, occasionally you have a, a moment, one of my quote-unquote moments is when I wrote a piece saying that uh, two weeks before WeWork was supposed to be public at a 50 to $70 billion valuation, I said, this company is not going public. Bullshit, yeah. This yeah. company is n- not worth this. And then it just mm-hmm. literally unwound. Yeah. And, but it here's the thing. I'm actually, I don't want to say I'm bullish on WeWork, but I don't think it's any shittier than most of the SPACs going out right now because yeah. instead of being valued at $47 billion, it's valued at nine. A, crisis, a real estate company, it says what it is. A crisis is a terrible thing to waste. They've cut, mm-hmm. they've they've laid off eight thousand people. They've cut costs dramatically. They have a manager versus a messiah running the company now. Sandeep Matrani is a real manager and a disciplined operator versus mm-hmm. the thirty-year-old faux Jesus they had. Mm-hmm. And also, the market is coming to them because coming out of the pandemic, I think you're going to have thousands of companies they're going to say we want office space but we want less and we but we want it to be cooler Flex. and more social and more and flexible flex. yep. which plays to their strengths in addition in addition the commercial real estate business yeah. is a 12 trillion dollar asset class and right now we work is the strongest brand in a 12 trillion dollar asset class can you name another office building no. brand there could be one yeah but no there no. isn't no. I mean, the, the largest office Especially among the millennials. Are Vor, Vornado or Equity Vornado. Office. No, a, no one types in Vornado Atlanta, but they I type like in- I like that name. That might it, be my new name, Vornado. Vornado. Vito. <laughs> no one types in Vornado Atlanta, but they type in WeWork yeah. Atlanta. So yep. what do you have? You have valuation is now 80% less. Costs mm-hmm. are way down. Sandeep is saying they'll be profitable by 2021. So in some, in some, this has gone from a ridiculous, Ridiculously stupid consensual hallucination concept, losing $150 million a week to a company where I think, you know what? I, I think it's actually probably someone's got to do it. Probably someone's do it, right? a decent buy. I don't, yeah. I, I've gone from bear to, I don't want to call, call myself a bull, but like a cow. I've gone from bear to cow <laughs> on this. <laughs> You're a cow. 
<laughs> what do you think? I'm a I think you're right. I think you're completely right. I, I I had no problem. Some of the WeWork branding stuff gets a little tired quickly. You know what I mean? Like they have to keep it fresh. You know, I'd like them. Mm-hmm. I hope they freshen up because it had a little bit of that, like the weird, I got sick of them after a while. Like, you know, it's sort of like, I don't know, like uh, pedal pushers are in and then they aren't. Then it's culottes and then it's long pants. Like it felt like possibly dated. So I don't know if going into one right now, I could do it and be like, what is, what, you know, 10 years, five years ago is calling and they want to come back kind of thing. But But, but the first thing, if they said, if we said, all right, Vox is setting up a Dallas office and we want it to be small and flexible, what would we do? We wouldn't know what to do. We'd go WeWork. WeWork. That's what I mean. That's that's what's great about it. Convenience and, you know, it's sort of like, you know, whether it's a Four Seasons, whether it's a Burger King, you know what you're getting. You know what you're getting when you're there. Yeah, exactly. Global. So, so I think that's, I think it's smart. Yeah, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they can do it. So this, it's SPAC is the best way to do this too, actually. It's actually kind of perfect on some level. Yeah, the whole SPAC thing is just incredible. There's already been more SPACs, more capital raised from SPACs in 2021 than there was in all of 2020. Yes. It's just, yeah, it's 295 just, SPACs have gone public in 2021. Yeah, that's a, $93 billion. When is this going to end? Why don't we have a SPAC? <laughs> That's Why the right we question. Spacked, spack ourselves. We have to NFT ourselves. We have to spack, spack ourselves. Spack me, baby. Spack me. We got NFT. We got a spack. We got a lot to do. We got We're a lot to do. Tornado NFT spack. So you are in an upcoming documentary about this WeWork situation. You look quite comely in it, I have to say. Quite but comely? Really? Yeah. Yes, you a little hot like, for the dog? <laughs> no, you not can admit even slightly. It. You can admit it. Not even slightly. So, Scott, I think this is good. We're 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 now positive on WeWork, correct? Even though you like take them apart in this documentary, you're yeah. now positive. We're uh, cows. I'm, on no, this. I'm 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 cowish on it. I Can don't, you move for us? Right I now? need I need to understand the numbers. But here's the thing: WeWork, mm-hmm. the WeWork SPAC, will be seen as an innovator. They mm-hmm. will be judged by a different set of metrics. Yeah. If Sandeep can deliver profitability in yep. the last quarter of this year. Gosh, who knows? And not only that, they enter into... A market, cheap prices. Yeah, they enter into a market where everyone else is retreating. There's no yep. there's no commercial office player playing offense right now. Yep. And I also think people underestimate how difficult it is. I think what they do, the whole community stuff, the cool architecture, mm-hmm. I think that's harder than people think. I think that vibe yep. just doesn't happen. All the commercial yep. real estate owners are saying, well, we can do flexible space. These are the, these are uh, next to academics. These are the least aspirational, cool people in the world. Yep. And they don't, I'm, I'm not sure they know how to create like a hip millennial vibe. Nope. Why not let them do it? I agree. Yeah. I we'll think it's see. a good thing. I think it's a good thing. All right. Can you moo right now? <laughs> I'm not going to moo. Please moo. Is this the kinky part of you? You know what? I'm not going to play. I'm not going to play your games. Do not you objectify can, me as an animal. You complete me. All right. <laughs> let's ahead. bring on You're our my guardrails. Pivot. is going to make you talk right now. A friend of Pivot, tough, tough person who I we have great admiration for. Uh, Zephyr Tichat is a law professor at Fordham and author of Break Em Up uh, and and a candidate for uh, New York governor. Is, is if That's correct. Zephyr, are you there? I, I was a candidate for New York governor in 2014. You were? Not, not right yeah. now. Are you? I, I know, are you going to be? I have some thoughts about the governor, but... Uh, oh, excellent. Excellent. We're going to get to the governor, Cuomo. Um, and uh, you're, so you're not a Cuomosexual, in other words, no. correct? That's gone. That's all done. Okay. But let's talk about the big tech CEOs. Uh, they testified in Congress last week. Do you see any movement in their testimonies? Oh, it's such a... It's such a hard hearing after the spectacular hearing last year with David Cicilline. Yeah. You know, you see like yeah. what a great hearing can be. 
when uh, when lawmakers come with documents asking about particular deals, um, really getting into the nitty gritty. And I think there was some I think there was some value in this hearing. Um, and it, I think it is part of a move that shows that Congress is going to act. It's very clear to me, you know, right. it's, it's very clear that Congress is going to act where and how is unclear. Um, it was great to see lawmakers talking about the business model. Um, mm-hmm. It didn't get much more granular than that. I mean, there was mm-hmm. the, the one moment where um, uh, uh, where Zuckerberg was asked how much money he makes from kids under 13. Mm-hmm. Good question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? right. And yeah. um, he didn't answer. I mean, he repeatedly didn't, uh, didn't answer anything. But getting more questions like that, figure out 10 conspiracy theories and say, okay, what you know? How how much did this affect your bottom line? Getting more into the financial model is Nitty-gritty. what I would like to see in these hearings. But at least you're seeing them talking about the business model, and and that is a shift. So yes, there was plenty of the um, the you know why aren't you moderating better um, uh, kind of question um, and uh, and plenty of grandstanding. But we're we're starting to talk about the business model, and then you saw you know um, Congressman uh, Rogers talking really. A, you know, talk about suicide and and the devastating effects on um, teenagers and depressions. Those were a few moments that really stood out. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, the, the one other there there wasn't a lot about breakups, um, uh, which mm-hmm. I think we could use more of, along with talking about the business model. But there was a moment where um, Armstrong from uh, North Dakota did get Zuckerberg to admit uh, something that we all know, which is that if we're looking at market structure, we should be looking at non-price factors. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and I mean, I don't know that we need Zuckerberg's admission there, but it's still, mm-hmm. right. I, I, I still think that's, um, that's important. Okay. All right, Scott. Well, most importantly, the really key question here is, Professor Teachout, have you appeared on any other podcasts recently? <laughs> Go ahead. Say it. Say it. What show were you on? What podcast were you on? Kara doesn't know this. You're on Prof G. I that's that. right. Because I that's invest right. in our relationship. Oh, that's I invest, right. <laughs> don't tell her. I invest in our relationship. Professor Ask her an Teachout actual question, all right, please. All right. it, was, it, was a, it was a highlight of 2020. It really, it really was. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, except until now. Go ahead. It's Ask the actual questions. <laughs> so, Professor, what do you think of Representative Cicilline's notion that they should go after um, a variety of... Um, uh, legislation instead of trying one big omnibus bill, that the strategy is going to be to try and go after them from a variety of angles. You know, I um, I am not the Hill strategist here, um, but I think there is a value in getting a series of strong pieces out there. And so we can really talk mm-hmm. about the impacts. And, you know, we're going to be, what I'll be looking for are one, it sounds pretty technical, but it's really essential. Um, are we taking power away from judges? Because right now we have, you know, judges that starting starting with Reagan, but the last 40 years have so deeply embedded with a, um, a Robert Bork mentality, a consumer welfare mm-hmm. mentality, that if you give a lot of play in the legislation, if you still allow judges to decide whether something is anti-competitive or not, you're not going to see the kind of substantial breakup um, uh, regime that I think we need to see. So that's one thing I'll be looking for in the legislation, uh, both mm-hmm. in the House and in the Senate. 
Um, I'm a big fan of uh, Klobuchar's leadership in this area. Her current mm-hmm. bill um, is still, a, it's a bill that was drafted a few years ago, and I hope gets updated mm-hmm. to have more of this kind of bright line, yeah. um, bright line legislation, because that, that can make a big difference. A second thing to yeah. be looking for in legislation is um, whether, when you're looking at mergers, whether mergers uh, can be waived through with conditions or whether there's a default presumption that you actually block the merger if it's anti-competitive. Right. So they have to prove that it's, yeah. they have to prove themselves. So one of the things you call monopolies are private systems of government. And you've also said monopoly mm-hmm. power is white power. Can you, can you uh, roll that out for us? Yeah. I mean, it's a, basically the private systems of government, everybody would have understood before 1980. And I think a lot of people increasingly understand now that when that's a certain point of, of both size and control it's governing. Mm-hmm. It's governing. Mm-hmm. And the, right. that particular line isn't easy to tell. But when you look at something like Amazon and the way it treats um, the sellers on this platform, mm-hmm. I mean, I see the cost that it gives to those sellers as a kind of private taxation um, because mm-hmm. it just has the power to whimsically set the rates. It's not yep. uh, yeah. it's not uh, governed by a back and forth within a within a seriously um, competitive market. And uh, you know, Justice Douglas said this in the 1950s, all forms of private power tend to form into a government in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And so historically, in, in this country, we used to be a real leader on this. You know, as, as we know mm-hmm. now, we're actually, uh, it's harder to start up here than in Europe. But that we understood that anti-monopoly law, a core reason for anti-monopoly law was to protect democracy, to sort of not allow rival forms of private government to coexist um, with public government. All right. But what about white power specifically? And then in your book, you starkly talking about the human drive for power that leads to tyranny. So talk a little bit more detail about this. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's one of the areas that's gotten the least attention is the ways in which the merger wave has really wiped out. And by merger wave, I mean 40-year merger wave, um, mm-hmm. um, has really wiped out extraordinary um, locuses of, um, of of Black power when you look at Black economic power and Black community power. Um, mm-hmm. Just for instance, when you look at insurance companies, funeral homes, pharmaceutical um, companies, um, uh, there are, uh, is that because people of color over index with small businesses and yeah. small businesses just lose in concentration yeah. of power? Yeah. And so, I just want to interrupt you for a second. Yeah. Isn't it worse than that? Isn't it basically monopolies are about white patriarchal older power? There yeah. just aren't that many monopolies that have young female people of color at the top. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. Yeah. And, and I come from election law. I come from studying systems of power in the electoral field. Mm-hmm. And this is the oldest trick in the book. If you merge three congressional districts, mm-hmm. one of this is the old Southern trick. You merge three con- congressional districts, one of which would have had a black representative with two white districts and then say everybody's at large, then you have three white representatives. Mm-hmm. So this mm-hmm. system of merging... Um, has allowed, has has been a driver. And then you see where the money has gone. And, you know, mm-hmm. until there's protests, and it's always sort of, it's like protest and then we change our policy. It was Google and all the big tech companies along with AT&T and Big Pharma who, was fun- mm-hmm. who were funding the voter, um, the voter suppression bills uh, through ALEC um, through 2010. So you have a double mechanism of, of both the way in which mergers wipe out key centers of, um, 
of, of power and then mm -hmm. fund greater destruction of that power. Absolutely. So it, what, I'm just curious, this week, this today, uh, they're voting in Alabama uh, about Amazon. Do you have any thoughts on where that's going to go? Uh, I'm speaking I, of I mean, powerful white guys. I mean, I, I'll be, we'll all be looking closely. I, I, I do think it's, um, it's a beginning. And, uh, you know, if we're really do you think going, it's a beginning or an end? I apologize for keeping. No, for keeping no. Okay. He he just mentioned this. That's oh, why because okay. he just mentioned the idea that if, if, the unions, don't win if the unions lose here, I kind of see this as we're all of a sudden in the bottom of the ninth for unions as a construct for representing the middle class. I think this has got got big implications on the future of unions that they lose here. Well, I think what it does, Scott, is it turns, uh, which has already been happening with unions, is it turns more and more to antitrust and anti-monopoly. I think that's right. Because because if you are going to have relative power, it's basically, it is, it's effectively, it's even with all this attention, it's so hard to organize in Bessemer. Um, but that basically to be able to organize, you need to have somewhere else to go. You need to be able to say, you know, we actually have good jobs elsewhere that we can go to and not have the market controlled by one of the companies. And, and so you're seeing this with the Teamsters, for instance. You know, they're they're 100%. they're talking more and more about anti-monopoly. If we want to have unions, you also need to break up these companies. You can't. Yeah, the best union is competition. So these individuals can can take the uh, force mm -hmm. higher rents on their labor from other companies bidding on their their labor. It feels like the best union in the world would be a less feeble government that breaks up breaks up these companies, no? Well, I, I mean, I, I, I believe in, in union power itself. Yeah. So I don't want to say the best union in the world. It's I don't want to overuse the term union. I, uh, but but let me, let me I, I apologize. Good. I, I have tremendous, I, by the way, I love Professor Ticha. Oh, I could listen I, to her all day. <laughs> so this is, I'm asking you these questions because I want to learn from you. But quite frankly, I, I think unions are a perfect example of being right and ineffective. I, 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 everything they say, I think makes sense. They're a ballast for the middle class and they have gotten the shit kicked out of them for 30 years. They have been ineffective. Don't we need something else? I mean, how, aren't we just always waiting for unions to reassert their power and it never happens? Do we need a new construct here? Well, I think we need unions. And then the mm -hmm. new construct is, um, you know, far more, and we're starting to see in the last couple of years, far more aggressive unions, unions who are who are not willing to uh, compromise as easily. And we mm -hmm. need antitrust. I mean, I, I, I know mm -hmm. I'm just going back to this, but when you have this yep. like no. massive concentration of power and, and in my book, I'm pretty tough on unions because they haven't used the merger moment as a leverage point no. in the way they could, because they have a moment where they can access more information, but they tend to mm -hmm. use it. And I, and I'm sympathetic, but they tend to use it to say, well, can we just get a decent contract for five more years? Even if in mm -hmm. five more years, then we're, uh, we are, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll support your merger with this massive hospital mm -hmm. chain in exchange for just, just give us a decent contract for five more, five more years. They have no leverage. And so no, using yeah. those merger moments is key, but we as a society also need to support unionization um, by having Biden be out there more front as a, as a, a you know, using his platform as- Which he has. Which he has, correct. and it's been great. Yeah. That, that matters. Yeah. That matters. That mattered um, uh, in the, in the 40s when we had a pro-union mm -hmm. president and decentralizing, you know, Antitrust is how you make capital harder to organize and unionization is how you make it easier for people to organize. And we need both. 
Yeah, you know what would be interesting here is if Trump was president, uh, he might be for the union here because he's, you know, he sort of supported, he was sort of playing into the white working class, but he hates Bezos. It's kind of, it would be interesting to see what his take would have been at this point. He's just so bad faith. It's just, you know, it's... All right, speaking of bad faith, uh, Cuomo, you called on him to resign uh, and that said he's been abusing his power for decades. So tell us, give us your take on this. I don't even want to ask any questions. Just love your take. What's going to happen too? I mean, Cuomo is not going to resign unless he feels like he has no source of power left. He does Mm -hmm. not uh, care about being loved. Um, He doesn't really have anywhere else to go. You know, it's, um, Mm -hmm. but he is in the toughest situation in his career because for the first time it's gone national. And mm-hmm. people who've been, you know, in New York reading the paper for the last 10 years have seen the ways in which he really uses his office to protect his own power. So the guy who's at the center of New York's vaccines right now is a guy named Larry Schwartz. Uh, 10 days ago, he was caught calling county executives, checking in on two things. One, what's your vaccine need? And two, Hmm. are you going to support the governor? Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, you don't need to be. Yes. Sometimes those were separate calls, but it's from the same guy (laughs) the same same day. This is the same guy who quashed subpoenas way back in 2014 Mm -hmm. when Mm -hmm. an anti-corruption commission was getting too close to Andrew Cuomo's friends. He has no public health background. He's, he's been living in the governor's mansion. I mean, the, the weirdness and uh, clubbiness and just self-protection of Andrew Cuomo gets weirder the closer you get. These are the kinds of stories that have been Cuomo all along, and they're only now getting out. And, and, and you have not just the you know, very serious uh, you know, uh, sexual harassment claims, but how he's responded by leaking personnel files. So, what happens, so what's going to happen? So, so what happens, I think, right now has to do with pressure on other lawmakers. You know, uh, a lo- most lawmakers have called on him to resign, which is a big deal. Um, but the next move is in, uh, whether they move forward with an impeachment, whether they do it publicly, or whether they sort of call on him to resign and then just just move on. And then there's a big moment with Tish James. What do you think happened? So Tish James's report should come out probably in June, um, uh, maybe in July. Uh, she's hired some really amazing investigators um, who are looking into not just uh, the sexual harassment, but also the, the retaliation homes. in the nursing homes. Um, so, yeah. so I think those are the, that's the big moment coming up. Um, and you know, I just I just think New York needs somebody who other lawmakers trust. To me, one of the more damning moments is when the head of the budget committee. New York's budget committee. They're negotiating the budget right now. She says, I, I can't work with the governor's office because he lies because of the lies around the nursing homes. These aren't just mm-hmm. public lies, which are problematic enough. These aren't just like a politician puffing their military experience. This is giving wrong numbers to committees that needed those numbers last summer and lying to them. So mm-hmm. so she's like, how do I, who do I talk to? So, so are, are you, uh, we got to go soon, but are you going to run? I'm not planning on it. No. So no, that's a no. I don't want to sound like who a would you like No, I'm governor. not running for governor. No, no. Okay. Who would you think would be running? I mean, who Tish would be, James is the, um, this is the yeah, New York yeah, attorney general. Yeah. And, and I, and I ran against her and I got to say, she's done a great job. So I've, I've really been impressed. I, uh, she has shown her independence, uh, 
And she's got a hell of an antitrust team. I mean, they've been amazing. Yeah. Speaking of which, getting back to that, that's another area of antitrust that's being looked at by, uh, by state's attorney generals, which cannot be ignored either who have been much more aggressive than the federal government in lots of ways. Yeah, no, I I mean, look at the states. There's a lot of state legislation that's happening and you see the lobbying going on like crazy in the states just to not get the bills to go to the floor. Um, and then the state AGs, um, and, and they, they, they got to play off each other because the state AGs are doing amazing work. But as you guys know, those cases can't be, uh, those individual cases can't be all that we do. We need the legislation. Well, Zephyr, thank you so much. We, 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 we recommend your book. I will call you professor too, uh, law professor at Fordham and author of Break Em Up. Uh, please buy it. Zephyr, thank you so thank much. Thank you, professor. Oh, thanks for having me. All right, Scott, she's a star. Yeah, very smart. Very professor, impressive. teach out. Very um, one more quick break. We'll be back for wins and fails. Support for the show comes from Fiverr, the world's largest marketplace for freelance services. In the fast-paced world of business, every decision counts. And when it comes to hiring, there's no room for guesswork. That's why Fiverr has developed solutions for business to make outsourcing projects simple, quick, and compliant. You can gain access to curated talent through Fiverr Pro's catalog of top freelancers organized by skills and experience. Plus, you can streamline your projects with a user-friendly dashboard where you can track progress and collaborate with your team. Fiverr Pro is perfect for businesses that want to work with top talent for immediate or long-term needs. And for anyone needing the highest level of white glove service, Fiverr Pro's project partners can manage multiple freelancer engagements for you. Project partners will outline requirements, assemble a roster of freelancers, and manage a schedule to ensure your deliverables are completed on time, allowing you to flex your budget without any headcount constraints. Ready to scale smarter? Visit pro.fiverr.com to sign up and use code PIVOT for 15% off any service. That's pro.fiverr.com and use code PIVOT. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Okay, Scott, wins and fails. I have a fail myself. I'm going to go first. You go first. You uh, Arkansas. The they laws want. against doctors not treating uh, gay people. They don't want what? to. For what? Religion. Are you, what do you mean, what? It, like, no, Asa I'm, Hutchinson I'm is shocked. laying waste I'm, I'm horrified. To what is going well, on? Uh, they're not. Uh, they're, they're, they pass a law. Asa Hutchinson, who just did a, a, another uh, terrible abortion one this week, uh, decided that doctors, because of religious reasons, should not have to um, treat gays and lesbians. They don't want to. Hmm. 
which is amazing. Um, so Arkansas, he signed the bill allowing medical workers to refuse treatment, all medical workers, not just doctors, to uh, LGBTQ people. So it's it's the same thing of the cake baking, the whole thing. It's mm-hmm. it's it's another version of that. But in this case, you know, the physicians do no harm. It's um, it's the opposite is doing harm. The measure says healthcare workers and institutions have a right not to participate in non-emergency treatments that violate their conscience. The new law won't take effect until later this summer. Uh, so it allows doctors to refuse to treat someone because of religious or moral objections. Um, so just astonishing and astonishing. And he's already, Asa Hutchins, who pretends he's moderate, is in no way moderate. Um, and so... I will not be going to Arkansas anytime soon. Hmm. Yeah. Well, we can't go to Georgia any longer if we want to no. vote. Um, yeah. I don't know if you got all a winner or fail. I guess it's a fail. It. Uh, I love someone tweeted that, I think it was Zach Bornstein, who I think is a genius uh, from um, Crooked Media. Anyways, um, he said that he was looking forward to no longer avoiding grocery stores because of COVID, but because of the fear of mass shootings. And I think that, oh, Jesus. I think yeah. it's hopeful that Hopefully, we not only see a light at the end of the tunnel, the end of COVID potentially, and again, it's dangerous to say that because we have seen a bit of a spike, Mm -hmm. but it's nice to see that we're starting again to focus on other issues. And gun violence, again, mass shootings rear their ugly head. Mm -hmm. I also think that it's going to bring up, I just think everything comes back to income inequality and availability of guns, uh, of weapons of war is obviously Mm -hmm. the, the biggest problem here. But I think you have a group of of young men, I think the two cohorts we would be best uh, served by investing in would be would be moms. I do think Marshall Plan for Moms would would, would reap huge benefits for our society, and then two, I think young non college bound youth. Um, and if you look at the profile of these shooters, they have an eerily similar profile. Yeah, they do. And it's disaffected young men who are having trouble attaching to work, having trouble attaching to school, and quite frankly, having uh, trouble attaching to relationships. And there's an uncomfortable truth that uh, men date and mate horizontally and down, and women date and mate horizontally and up. And because women, young women relative to young men have done much better, seven out of 10 girls are valedictorians, more women going to college, vastly more women graduating from college. Uh, there's just no getting around it. A young, uh, a young, bored, lonely man is the most dangerous person in the world. And that's, and I want to be clear, I don't think it's anyone's obligation to service young men in any way, but there was just a frightening statistic that came out. I don't know if you saw this. It was from Pew, and it said that in 2008, the number of men who had not had sex before the age of 30, in other words, hadn't Mm -hmm. been in a relationship, was 8%. Do you know what it is now? Oh, don't tell me. It's 27%. And even when you look at places like Sudan, where they're really warlike, when you end up Mm -hmm. with incredible income inequality, you end up with essentially polygamy because the wealthy people get the Mm -hmm. most selection of mates. And again, young, bored men who aren't attaching to relationships become violent. And that's not to say, I'm not saying that gun control isn't a central component here, but I do think income inequality and a lack of prospects for young people, and I'm just saying men, I'm saying women as well, but it just so happens when women don't have a lot of prospects, they tend to not pick up an AR-15. They do not. So I think there's something around investing in not only moms, but also I think we need a much greater focus and more investment in young people who are not college bound because that we're creating an entire generation 
and it's happened in China, of young men who aren't attaching to anything. And unfortunately, unfortunately, young board, a young board, unattached man is the most dangerous person in the world. And if they're radicalized by, say, misinformation. Uh, on social media, yeah. or they're fed information that it's a woman's fault that they're alone. Yep. Yep. You know, it's, so I think there's, we want to talk about guns, but I, I don't care if it's guns. I don't care if it's systemic racism, uh, uh, gender inequality. I think all of these are uh, have a bigger issue at the front, but the incendiary making all of these things worse underneath them is income inequality. 100%. Scott, we're going to have to say something positive. we got to end on a positive note. I went to the Ar- National Arboretum, which was free from the U.S. government. Beautiful cherry blossoms, daffodils. That's nice. Everything. It was lovely. And it was lovely to take uh, Clara there, who loved it. Uh, so that was a positive, that there are good things from our federal government. Thank Wonderful you. things. National yeah. parks. National parks. That's nice, Kara. What's your win? You know, I didn't I didn't have a win. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling, I don't know. I don't have a win today. No uh, win. No yeah. win. I'm really, yeah. I'm really just, uh, I'm, I, every time this, this mass shooting stuff comes up, I feel so, yeah. I don't Hopeless. know. Impotent is an American. I just yeah. feel so like, Jesus Christ. I mean, I what know. the fuck is wrong with us? I know. And I don't know how to, like I don't 40, know. We have 40% of the guns and like whatever, 4% of the population. We have more Some guns than people. We have 5% yeah. of the population, yeah, but 45% of the guns. I mean, it's just, crazy. It's just absolutely I know. crazy town. And then what sense. I find just so discouraging is that uh, gun people like to blame us on the mentally ill. And the reality is a mentally ill person is more likely to be the subject of gun violence than the perpetrator. Yep. And so that's – mentally ill people not only have enough to deal with, but uh, the, but the NRA blaming them. And we do not have a monopoly on mental illness. We don't over or under-index on mental illness. We over-index on people's access to weapons yep. of war. I just – I can't understand – and again, I sort of blame Democrats – the NRA is on the ropes. They're financially mismanaged. Wouldn't this be the time to go in and break their fucking backs? Well, guess who's doing that? Tish James in New York. I hope so. She is. She I hope she's so. Trying. But see, she's the trying. thing is, New York is actually pretty good on gun control and no, on no, gun violence. She's, she's going after their bankrupt. They're, she's going after them in a way. They're trying to escape her, her, uh, her attempts. But uh, yeah, I agree. We got to get our government to intervene Very in upsetting. a lot of these areas. Um, in any case, Arboretum, it, does, it also it also leave does me. link with like. Governors like Asa Hutchinson or senators like Ted Cruz, who are appalling as people. I'm sorry. And and by the way, Jeff Bezos, stop frigging tweeting like that. Act like a man. Like, man up and give your case. Come on, get back to the dick pic, says the jungle cat. (laughs) Yeah, that's fine. Do what you're good at. You know all you want. We don't want to see your tweets. You all you want about your your pictures. We want to see Big Ed and the twins. (laughs) (laughs) We're good with that. But for fuck, just stop. Just stop. You're the richest person Uh, in the world. Stop. Yeah, Thank you. That's my, that is my job application for that. You want make me head of the Washington Post, and I'll tell you where to get off. That's that's how I say <laughs> that is my job application. Yeah, Don't is, be an asshole. This Jeff. is getting ugly. Let's go back to the arboretum. <laughs> All right, that's the show. We'll be back Friday for more. There's so much news, Scott. It's crazy. There's a lot of news. Anyway, go to nymag.com/pivot to submit your question for the Pivot Podcast. The link is also in our show notes. Scott, uh, read us out. Today's show was produced by Camila Salazar. Ernie Intertot engineered this episode. Thanks also to Hannah Rosen and Drew Burrows. Make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify wherever you listen to podcasts. If you liked our show, please recommend it to a friend. Thanks for listening to Pivot from New York Magazine. 
and Vox Media. America isn't what it is. It's what we make of it. Gun control can absolutely happen, Kara. It's, this is, for God's sakes, it was time a long time ago, but now especially it's time. It's time.